Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome. You know what time it is. It's another Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. I am your host, Michael Canodal, and today's educator is none other than Dr. Pete Carney. And the topic is soloing with chord tones in blues changes. So before we get started, everybody, uh, I, we love that you joined in live with us. And I want to remind you, we love interaction. So if you have questions, maybe some comments from Dr. Carney or myself about, you know, soloing, go ahead in that chat feature and type it out. And we're going to leave some time just to answer your questions. So we're ready to move forward. But you know what? We couldn't do what we do without our awesome sponsors. So please be sure to check out the studio archives of past video sessions at clearwaterjazz.com's education and outreach section. And that's brought to you by Blue Water Wealth Management at Stewart Partners and Duke Energy, as well as our Young Lions podcast available wherever you stream. And that's brought to you by our friends at Marine Max Clearwater. Just search Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions wherever you stream. Um, if you've been viewing our sessions lately, you've seen how Dr. Carney has given us these great sessions about solo and chord changes. I mean, you name it. He's also done some of our What I Love About series, and you can always go back in the archives and check that out. And if you don't know who Dr. Carney is, he is the Director of Jazz Studies at State College of Florida in Bradenton. Uh, you may see him all over the Tampa Bay area playing on a wide variety of, of, of stages and throughout the country. Um, he's headlined as a saxophonist at jazz festivals, including the Rochester Jazz Festival, Arbadeen Festival in Scotland, uh, with his acid jazz group, Orange Alert. So you got to go check out his stuff. Maybe you can find him on YouTube or his website. But without further ado, no more delays. Dr. Carney, the stage is all yours. All right, Michael, thanks for having me. It's always good to be back. And I wanted to talk today about um, practicing blues. It's something that you can really practice by yourself. Um, you can also put it on a track and play along with it. Um, but there's just so much information in the blues and in the blues changes. Like, I really feel like, you know, when you can play a blues really well, it opens the door for you to play most anything. Um, because there's one, there's a lot of ways to play it. And two, there's also some strong requirements when you play it. Um, from my experience getting better and better at the blues, hopefully, um, I found that what people really do like are the chord tones, you know? So when you're younger in like middle school and early high school, a lot of times, um, you might start off with a blues scale and get going and it's fantastic uh, because it's really the cornerstone of American melodies to me. It's the foundation of everything from Motown to uh, you name it. Um, the blues scale has become like just, just everything, including Whitney Houston or Mariah Carey. Every time you see them, hear them sing a melody, there's blues scale in there, folks. Um, and so for us, it's foundation to American culture, but in the jazz category, um, you want to steer over towards working on the chord tones and being able to uh, explore the root third, fifth, and seventh. And I would say in the blues, 
there's just a great synchronicity when you can hit the third and seventh of the chords, especially. Uh, and if you look at famous melodies, well, what we're going to do for a second first is just walk you through a couple melodies you might have played, and the melodies reveal the research of uh, Thelonious Monk, and they reveal the research of Sonny Rollins and Coltrane and other people, um, because you see them playing the third and the seventh a lot. Uh, for example, let's just get right into it with um, Blue Monk. Um, his on the third, the, the root is B flat. He starts on the third. A nice chromatic note going up from the third to the fifth. Um, the next part, the next chord is a, a concert E flat seven. He starts on the third again. And then this funny lick from the fifth going back down. Right, a little kind of, to me, there's a little sarcasm in there, a little humor almost. Uh, now he goes up to the third again. Right? Um, and then the last part is sort of a a new melody or a counter melody. If this was Mozart, this would be the second melody. After the second lick. And he keeps coming back to the third of the chord. Um, when you're starting out with blues, the melodies give you information about how you're supposed to solo on it. Um, you can't just solo over the song without reference point to why this song was created. Okay, so that's important to think about. Um, playing wise, the first step, if you can't get over the chords, I'm just going to um, play the chords straight up and down. Now, I make all my students do that um, and memorize the blues that way so that you have a solid foundation of the four chord tones. Start, again, starting from the roots, always going to feel kind of like you're a bass player or kind of wonky, but you're really trying to create a pattern uh, in your head of what notes are valuable. Four chord. start to, to hear how jazz evolves from this language of Louis Armstrong playing chord tones and really highlighting the nature of songs and the foundational structure of it. Okay, so um, that's the first thing you should be able to do. And if you're in a great high school program, uh, I've seen, I learned this from a high school teacher actually that I was like visiting with in Michigan and he makes his high school jazz combo. They start every tune with this whether it's uh, the blues or what stable mates or whatever, they go through the tune and they play all, all of the chords, one, three, five, seven, straight up so that everybody has some basic information. If you can't play those four notes, then you need to start there before anything else good is going to happen with jazz. 
Um, a lot of times, like I was saying before, in middle school, we get people kicked off on the blue scale because it gets you going. And um, the long way of jazz is to begin the research on the chord tones. And that's where you really start to make progress. When you're stuck in the blue scale forever, it starts to sound like that. Um, it just kind of goes in circles. Beautiful stuff, of course, but it means you only have this one world to to bring to the table. You don't have the world of uh, jazz and the dominant chord language as much, all right? So let's look at another melody. Uh, if you take Tenor Madness by Sonny Rollins, right? Also, he starts on this on the third, and then he starts on the seventh of the next the next melody or the next phrase, I should say. And he goes back to the first phrase. So the point is, he's showing you his research. He's saying on this first chord, I'm playing the third, and then check it out. The seventh is a half step below that third. That's kind of a cool sound because your ear hears this. And then he augments it and he distorts that idea into this. So the first one. Now he distorts it again and goes to the lowered seventh. Now it's sort of the counter melody. Might have nothing to do with the first idea. You know, it's hard to um, think, is it just a great idea or is it something that's supposed to be different than everything else he's played before? I'll play it again. It's kind of an excursion away from the, the, the basic motif. But what he also does in that melody, that, that fragment, that last phrase, he gives you the outline of the C minor chord going to the third of the of the F7 chord. So when you when you when you internalize these melodies, they give you a sense of the value of the thirds and the sevenths. Um, so, like I said earlier, the first step is. Um, and I, I'm assuming you're familiar with the blues and there's plenty of places you can find um, a blues. This isn't like the very first lesson on blues. This sort of a little bit down the road on blues and that you can find a lead sheet, uh, which you could find at uh, learnjazzstandards.com. It's a nice little website that has uh, lead sheets for basic things. I'll give you uh, show you what I'm talking about here. Um, it's a nice little uh, chord chart for Blue Monk. And I do like uh, sometimes going back to and practicing these um, and just looking at the, the lead sheet so that I kind of just get locked in a little bit on things I might have forgotten. Like, oh, maybe I haven't practiced the third enough or maybe I haven't practiced using the fifth enough. You know, and sometimes that lead sheet can just give you some reminders. There's also a, a countless ways to play blues progressions. This is just one of them. Okay. Um, but this is a very, I would say, very basic version of it. One of the sort of prime versions of blues, if you say. Okay. Um, the blues. So putting that together, let's say that I wanted to practice this by myself. Um, 
and you can hear this in Coltrane or Sonny Rollins, or you can hear this in, but I especially think of train when I do this exercise, which is taking those four chord tones and uh, playing them in dispersed order or changing the order instead of going straight up, um, just playing them in, in uh, odd ways. The sort of abstractness of jazz is the surprise of new intervals. So those four chord tones are in a sense kind of required but the the expression of them um, in 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 time is can be very interesting. So that would be also remind me very much of some uh, somebody like Joshua Redman. He does this a lot on his solos. Um, I'm thinking about uh, when he starts off. A lot of times you'll hear him just hammer out some big uh, chord tones um, and play some kind of interesting phrases like. Very Thelonious Monk also. Um, you know, so by by putting those chord tones in different order, you start to create really cool language and very um, efficient jazz vocabulary, right? I'll slow it down even more because it's important that you don't play this too fast. If you're, if you're playing too fast, you don't give your brain time to research and learn, and you don't give your brain time to print this information into your hands in a sense, right? It's very, the memory of these really to me becomes physical and so when you're holding the keys or you're holding your instrument, your brain is printing to your fingers what success sounds like, okay? So you have to, you can't rush the learning process because you're not learning when you learn something fast, you know? There's just no such thing as learning something in a hurry. All right, so take your time. Um, let's, I'm just gonna go from the beginning again, and I'm just gonna explore um, ways to use those four notes in a, in a creative way and I'm always looking for a new way that I haven't done it before and I still find new ways all the time to play this in a way that I didn't play it last time that's the cool thing is that I'm still learning this like I'm I'm not teaching you as if I've been through everything <laughs> um, it's a long lifelong journey of of playing cool notes and I'm still discovering new ways but I only discover them really slowly Thank mm -hmm. you. 
if you speed that up, that was stuff I've never played. I can tell you for sure that I've those licks were a stretch of uh, my potential and thinking about two octaves and trying to stretch out over those two octaves. If you speed that up, you start, it becomes, um, I don't want to say it becomes Joshua Redman and, and Coltrane, but it becomes jazz pretty quickly. So... <laughs> had a fight going on so i still fight my enemy of g7 at the end of the blues um this in this form here right now it's um two bars of of g7 which i don't really like but it's good for me to dwell on that neighborhood and say okay uh, let me try this instead of using the usual uh d minor seven that i would put before that g7 again if, if it forces you outside of your habits you're probably making progress Okay, um, and you can hear, if you check out uh, Coltrane in the mid-60s, you can hear him playing blues like this a lot. Uh, you can just, And of course, he's playing more stuff than this. But there's something really beautiful about it. There's something really efficient about it. Um, it just allows you uh, and your listener time to check out something in space. This, you know, the leapiness of limiting yourself to chord tones um it lends itself art but it's not something your audience doesn't understand they still get it um i can play that tonight and people will be totally into it um as a first course because it's um the space of it gives the your sort of average listener a chance to understand the weirdness of it does that make sense if i'm almost if i was too aggressive with it i think that it can lose people but the space and the exploration of a few odd objects in a sense um, is something your audience connects with um, you give them a way to start understanding abstract reaches of jazz you know this is a to the average listener this is like it's hard for them to wrap their brain around it you know you're your average person that doesn't isn't a jazz fan um, comes to that and says, it just sounds like he's kind of all over the place, right? So, but they can get with that idea if you use it in a way that is, um, uh, I want to say rigorous and restrained, all right? Duke Ellington in these things too. You can hear him playing two hands and piano, um, you know, finding the tritone. And that's what the beauty of the third and the seventh that I was playing. Um, just the third and the seventh chord gives you this beautiful tritone. You know, it's odd and it lends itself to other tritones. So once I play that, 
the listener gets it. Now I can play this tritone also. The third and seventh of the four chord. Now, now that means I could play another tritone. So as you build, as you explore abstract stuff within the key, it gives you a bridge to play abstract stuff outside of the key. Um, so it's a little bit tricky to demonstrate as a solo thing, but you can kind of hear. Right, so if I play one tritone, it almost means that you can start adding other tritones it, because you built a bridge into the abstract space. I think of uh, Charlie Rouse a little bit in that. Um, it's not an actual transcription idea, but it feels like him playing with Monk a little bit. You know, they, they discover intervals inside of the chord, the third and the seventh, and they really kind of take them down the road a bit more than most people. Okay, um, let's put that together with a track here. Um, this will do. There's a simple way to wellness. And then there's other ways in. two um i played root on this c minor just so you know what's happening here i'd put i'd set up the tritones over here and then right here i played uh, c to f sharp which is not correct but it is a tritone borrowed from this neighborhood over here and then i played uh f to b which is also not correct technically in terms of this chord Okay, but because I set up tritones over here, it makes it sound great right here because the tritone, the logic of your line will always take precedent over the chord that you're heading to. So if you, if you build a bridge with an odd shape, that bridge will carry you over the chord for a little while. Um, it's just kind of a cool thing to explore a little bit. All right, um, let's go back. Go back to the other uh, method we had talked about, which was just sort of um, banging around the four chord tones. Just don't get carried away with the improvisation of the blues, okay? You have to, in order to learn, you have to box yourself out from your habits. And so this little four note habit for me is fantastic for building a lot of great solid playing. I did this for a long time. I mean, a couple years, where I was kind of obsessed with this idea um, of, and 
and just playing the four notes and and trying to make sense out of it. it's also giving me time to work on swing and make sure I'm not hokey. <laughs> so if you can swing here, you're in pretty good shape. You know, like it, it builds character in your playing. You can't, it's not all notes. And so when the exercise of the notes becomes easy, pay, set, you know, send your attention to your style. Make sure you're tonguing the upbeats in general. And in general, you're keeping the, the phrases long. A lot of times younger players will play the blues and it has this feel, uh, which is the, the downbeat short and you don't really want that. Check it out. the misconception here is that you're not swinging or you're swinging too much what it really is is that you're you're letting the downbeats get short in the blues and that's always going to sound uh unless you're trying to have fun and uh, and you're, you have sort of a comical approach but it's a really typical problem which is the downbeats are too tight i'm going to play that same type of stuff but make sure that my my phrases are generally legato Also change your style too. Don't be afraid of switching between sort of ghosts in your head and who you're talking through or who you're speaking to in, in jazz history. Um, on that second phrase, I just I kept the notes long. I was still playing the still the same basic things, um, but I was making sure that I didn't shorten up. Um, that's really the most, most common problem, whether you're playing bass or guitar or saxophone, making sure. All right, that's not what you want. What you want is this. It doesn't mean there aren't short notes. It just means that jazz lines are pr traditionally, um, I would say, legato and then shorter than short. <laughs> okay, so it's more extreme articulation. Let's go back through this exercise one more time. And now I'm going to maybe uh, stretch out and work on the style of my playing 
in terms of this this simple uh, etude, okay, it's not simple, I guess, but uh, let's let's call it uh, rigid etude. I'm gonna use like an older style. <laughs> to switch from old to new or new to old in a set if i'm playing for three or four hours and you're just playing uh modern i feel like you you can bore your audience to be honest with you if you want to connect with average folks that are sitting in chairs you have to be diverse in your world um which reminds me of of what coltrane said uh they asked coltrane many times who's the greatest saxophone player his answer always was Johnny Hodges. Like, I get it as a, as a musician, but I'm sure it shocked a lot of um, people because you could hear Coltrane as going against Johnny Hodges in a sense, you know what I mean? Or a modern edge and trying to be new uh, compared to the tradition of Johnny Hodges. But he still had so much respect for uh, the sound of, of Johnny Hodges and the personality of his playing. So stretch out, you know, personality wise, you have to have, when you play blues, you want to be able to have qualities in a sense. Uh, you can't just steamroll people um, with one bebop personality and in order for audiences to like you, they generally won't like you. Um, so you have to, you have to think of it as um, almost like different players on the baseball field, you know, um, you can't all be home run hitters you have to have all these diverse choruses. So I'm gonna to put together um, a couple of choruses here and maybe go from an older Lester Young generation to the more modern stuff. And I don't know if I would do this in a in a, um, one solo this extremely, You're sort of going from, you know, jumping through decades, but it is a good exercise.
if I had started with that really modern chorus first, I'm probably in trouble with my audience pretty quickly because it sounds like I have an ax to grind, you know? Um, it doesn't mean you have to start in ancient history, okay, of jazz, like, but you can, but you do want to, you want to give your audience a, a chance to hear your sound. They want to hear you play some basic chord tones and they want to get settled into your story and give them a sense, like a, a second to sort of transition out of the soloist that came before you. Um, you can't just come in blazing and, um, and you don't give, you don't have that lull. You know, if you listen to Beethoven symphonies or whatever, you hear that, you know, he stomps around for a while, but then he calms down and lets the audience chill out before he comes back up again. So in the music, you have to sort of be aware of that in your audience. And well, you can kind of feel it if you're paying attention, you know, if you're, if you're paying attention to your audience more than yourself, you'll feel what should happen next. Sometimes it's the opposite of the soloist before you. Uh, sometimes it's an extension of that. It just depends if they've heard, you know, 10 minutes of bebop solos coming at them. There's no way you could, you could come out with something that strong. I feel like you're just going to, you're asking too much of their attention span in a sense. They haven't had a chance to sort of slow down for a second. So in that case, let's say that I had a whole bunch of people play a bunch of hot stuff before me. I might just come in with some thirds and sevens and it, it can still be modern. It doesn't have to be um, traditional in a sense, but it, but the space is important because the space allows you to showcase your faster stuff at the end of your solo rather than at the beginning. So I'm gonna start with a little bit of space here. a nice effect to make it sound more modern if you want which is uh when you, you when you have your chord tones covered you can almost delay the chords um that are uh, like you can delay the c minor in a sense by dragging that uh g7 altered over it that's a fun thing to do if you want to play in a spacious style but um but more modern and it, it, again, you can only get there if you already know the chord tones, right? You can't break what you uh, haven't built in a sense. So you can't break the chords and play outside stuff without a reference point that's strong. Um, just So just again, make sure you go through the blues one, three, five, seven, and then create a little box and play those four notes just to sum everything up. Play those four notes in like a little cell and try and find new intervals within uh, the four chord tones and play them in different orders 
and then also play a couple choruses just with the third and sevenths um and you'll start to hear some really neat Thelonious Monk stuff in your playing um and then you know try and uh work on your swing while you're doing all of that so that your your swing isn't affected by your thinking okay you're not shortening up on the downbeats um and also try and get through different parts of history um there's so many blues tracks there's a lot of people to listen to so it's all out there for you to discover you can't play like everybody all at once find somebody you really like and jam with them um for this track i'm you know playing with a play along but it is so much more valuable for you to play with lester young um than to just listen to him put on anything with lester and play blues with him and steal from him directly rather than just playing over play along track all the time um, so that's my tips for the blues i hope it helps you play um, you can always reach out to me uh, if, if you have any questions. Thank you. You know what, Dr. Carney, I really appreciated a couple things there, um, especially when you said take time to listen. Um, you know, sometimes those chord changes come at us really fast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but if, you know, if we slow it down and really get the mechanics, yeah. um, we'll be much more successful and we won't have to think so hard when we're playing it. That's when yeah. you can get that vocabulary. You mentioned some great artists. I mean, Les Young. I mean, all, all these great uh, improvisers. Um, so that other part was listening. You know, who are you listening to? And not just sound so acrobatic, but, you know, right. give your audience something to, you know, take home instead of, okay, right. I just played a bunch of arpeggios. Or what right. else did you do? <laughs> right. That's right. You know, because some crowds, you know, you can play that and they're just like, wow. Oh, but then yeah. musicians, we kind of want to hear what, what, what is it about you? You know, what's different about you? Right, so, for sure. I could really appreciate everything you said about that. And you, you really brought it home. And, you know, I really want to encourage our listeners to, you know, if you really like what Dr. Carney said, I, I promise you in his past sessions as well, he has so many nuggets of uh, knowledge far as a, a educator in music and also an, a performer. I mean, he's a real deal. So go back to our archives, check that out. And also, Maybe there's something you haven't heard yet. Maybe it's a topic or uh, maybe a musician you want more research on and we can help you with that. You know what? Email us. We would love to hear from you. Uh, you can email us at info at clearwaterjazz.com. So thank you so much, Dr. Carney. We love these sessions. We're looking forward to the next one. I've been your host, Michael Carnoto. This has been Dr. Carney here. And then like we always say around here, until next time, Keep it swinging, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Thank you to our friends at Marine Max Clearwater for helping to present this podcast series. To learn more about the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Annual Festival tradition, other special events throughout the year, and our year-round education and outreach, please visit clearwaterjazz.com.